0: Bum, 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 hey everybody, welcome back to Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. I'm in a closet and I'm Misty. On a couch on a screen across from me is Lisa Linky. You're so kill- you're killing me. I don't know. Listen, it's been... Days since I've seen another human being.
1: Too many days in quarantine. Yesterday said you'd have a vaccine, but it's still be three days till I go <laughs> outside again. Um, Bare naked ladies, anyone? I had that tape. All right, so now that you all know. Someone um, (laughs) (laughs) made, this guy made this parody of Adele's Hello, and he's doing (laughs) a hello from me inside. it's so funny. He's at a window, and he's like smushing his face up. It's pretty good. Oh, I I
0: think you sent that to me, and I didn't watch it yet. Somebody sent it it to me. I don't think
1: I sent it, but yeah, it's going around.
0: Listen, everybody, this is a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, and every week we read and review a popular self-help book. To try and give you uh, in less than an hour, ideally, some profound personality shift. Oh, God. That you have been like, I need to get a new me. No well, guarantees. You're at the me store. Welcome. <laughs> uh, we work on commission. Big mistake, huge. Big mistake, huge big mistake. Richard Gere is here too in the closet with me to be clear. Uh, And anyway, you get it. So listen, last week, (laughs) Lisa walked us through the first part of this unbelievable book for the love of men. And even though my voice sounds unenthusiastic and dead inside, I'm really into the book. And all I did, all I did last episode was go like, huh? Wow. (laughs) Awesome, because no, I yeah, I'm a you're, shell you're of a person. Blown.
1: Your face was like you were you you lost.
0: <laughs> no, no, yeah, yes, but like as far as vocal very like right now, it's like I sound enthusiastic. I'm doing an intro, and then I'm like huh, for the rest of the book. So just know, yet. just know <clears> that <throat> every every grunt or sigh from me is a big thumbs up to this book. Um, we're gonna dive right back in. Yep. We chatted about how. Um, gender is shockingly uh, limiting for men and yeah. damaging and creates um, you know, when we don't teach men to identify their feelings, cope with their feelings, express their feelings, get their needs met, it manifests in some of the of society's darkest problems. I think yeah, is how the author put it. And men and boys. and boys, men and boys. Um, yeah. So uh, we also talked a bit about testicles, which we always want to talk about in every episode <laughs> of the podcast. And um,
1: if that's what you remember. I love it. I love it. Those are my
0: those are my key takeaways. Everybody, uh, we're gonna dive in. If you want to hear about the author and the profound intro and th- the price of the book, I know you're all. Jones. And for that, please listen to the first part.
1: <laughs> so. All right. So I'm, I'm taking the reins. Oh Thank, God. God. <laughs> Thank <God> the <laughs> So we're jumping back into For the Love of Men by Liz Plank. And we covered the intro in part one, and now we're heading back into part two. And part and one the was the chapter the first six chapters. Yeah, so yeah. chapter seven is the Great Suppression. And just remember, in the book, there's all these little Amuse Bouche's and stories um, that are anecdotes and uh, real people that are bringing like bringing this research to life.
0: Every time someone says Amuse Bouche, let me tell you what I think of. Uh oh. So my <laughs> my last partner. Hate hated seafood, hated it. Uh, But he was lovely in the sense that he would always try. Every now and then he would go, okay, I'll try salmon or I'll try something. We were out at uh, a fancy restaurant with his parents. And it was like early on in our relationship. And the waiter comes around and goes, would you like an amuse-bouche? Try this. It is a scoop of vanilla ice cream with cured salmon. Cured Salmon Graflox. And I just immediately was like, no, those flavors don't go. You don't take smoked salmon and sweet vanilla ice cream. It's not. And I was like, Zach, don't try it. Don't do it. Don't try it. Don't do it. And he was like, no, I really, I want to like fish. Like, I'm going to try this. (laughs) And he put this moose boosh in his mouth. And it was horrible. I love vanilla ice cream, and I love cured salmon. And this was such a disgusting combo. And anyway, to this day. Does not like salmon. So I think we've all learned a lesson here.
1: <laughs> you guys, she is stroking the center of her forehead with her pinkies, her pinky <laughs> fingers, just repeatedly bringing I herself. I truly have face. lost my mind. Please talk about men. We're going to okay, talk about, Here we go. We're gonna talk to us about boys. Oh boy. Here we go. Part, uh, chapter seven, The Great Suppression. So she talks. Um, she talked to <laughs> she talked to her friends and other women <laughs> who were just stopping dating completely and who were leaving marriages. And I have to say, I, this chapter resonated with me because I haven't had a lot of um, desire to date, and I've often said like it's going to need to be a fucking unicorn for me to be interested in dating. Yeah. Um, but she says many women didn't feel like they were married; they felt like they were rehab centers. What? She says, um, quote, depression in men often doesn't look like depression in women, journalist Julie Skelfo told me. She began studying the issue a decade earlier. Quote, it manifests itself in other ways like anger, drug use, or alcoholism, end quote. One conclusion Julie had re- reached from her research is that men are dealing with a mental illness but are unaware of it. Oh my God. Yeah, so she says she talked about how researchers found that the most satisfied women in heterosexual couples have male partners who perform emotional labor, to which I said, uh, no duh. Um, (laughs) I think literally I was reading that part of the book and I was like, "Uh, no duh. Um, And then she gets into this big chivalry discussion, which, first of all, I found fascinating. But second of all, because she specifically went to have a conversation with Tommy Lauren, who is the conservative blonde who used to have her own like Facebook um, program. Oh uh-huh. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Tommy, Tommy Lauren, not Tommy Tommy Lauren. Who and now care? she's on Fox or whatever. Oh yeah. So it was in Texas. It was her, it was, it was two men and two women. And, Tommy, it it was really funny. She kind of played it word for word. It was really amazing. But also it really highlighted these gender roles. It was interesting. So basically she was saying like, um, Liz was saying um, that if women can also now pay for their food, like what do men do on a date? She said, if in other words, if your job is no longer to pay for the date, what is your job on the date? Wow. She's like, the truth is that dating is hard. It's hard for women. It's hard for men. And it has become increasingly un- and unnecessarily painful for all of us because of shifting gender norms, which have be- which have come to modify the rules about dating. She's like, but it's not like we've all settled on a whole new set of rules. They're just, there are no, new haven't. rules but nobody knows what they are, right? So she says men are getting mixed oh, yeah. signals. On the one hand, they're being told that women want to be treated as equals, that they are starting to have more spending power and status in society, which means that men attempting to do things for them is condescending, unwelcomed, and outdated. On the other hand, men are being told that being a man means being a gentleman, and the main way to show respect to the opposite sex is through chivalry. Because those two messages conflict, men are justifiably lost. It was just so interesting because, like, quoting, you know, Tommy and her friend, they were just like, I want a man, you know, to pay for the first date or I'm not quoting it directly, but basically like, I want him to open the door, but like also I don't need him to pay for the first date. It was just, and I was like, oh, I see these conflicting messages. And it wasn't just because it was Tommy Lauren. Like I hear these messages with my friends. I feel the same way often myself. Mm -hmm. And so she says, my conversation with Tommy and her friends crystallized a pretty clear double standard. That while we're comfortable with women existing outside of the bounds of femininity, we are not comfortable with men existing beyond the bounds of masculinity.
0: Correct. Yeah. yeah. And and as as a woman who's gone on just thousands and thousands of dates this <laughs> last year, um, I got it, It's interesting because I always always go in assuming we will at least split the bill. Yeah. You know, cuz I think for me personally that's a healthy place for me to come from so yeah. that if if the person I'm with decides to pick up the whole bill and they say no I'd really like to, that's a nice surprise, but I I'm never, you know, ordering f- things off the menu in a way that's like, oh, I don't I'm not responsible for half this bill. But yeah. I have yet yeah. to have the experience of, oh no, I've got this and they go, "Okay, no problem. Great. You've got it." It's only on like a second or third or fourth date that I go, no, I'm getting it this time. Cause you've gotten yeah. the last few of yeah. us, but
1: you know what I mean? So it's, it's I also like yeah. the, um, whoever invited the person, you know, like if I invite you, you know what I mean? That's kind of like an older formal, like I invited you to dinner, I will pay kind of thing. But
0: Yeah, yeah, yes. And I, it's interesting though, because on like dating apps like Hinge, it's like, well, did I swipe you first or did you swipe me first? Or did, <laughs> yeah. is it who asks who out or is it, you know <laughs> what I mean? Health? But also, also sometimes it's like, hey, you get this round, I'll get that round, you know, right, kind of right, thing. Right. But
1: whatever you're um, comfortable with here's this really cool take that she gave on chivalry. She says, it's um, so after she had the conversation with Tommy and her friends, she says, it's at that moment that I realized why chivalry annoyed me. Although it's presented Mm -hmm. as something that men do for women, it's really something men do for themselves. In other words, the moral panic about chivalry, quote, being dead wasn't about women being too empowered. It was about men feeling like they were giving up an important part of their identity, perhaps the only part of their identity that they felt they had left. It was a sense of if men can't open doors for women anymore, what do they do with their hands? (laughs) (laughs) While it's interesting to have these conversations and vital to address the shifting identities of men, if we abandon the old rules, if we let go of men's obligation to open doors and pay the checks, perhaps we could have a more interesting conversation about coming up with other ways for men to be men. And she says when she realized this, she cut chivalry out cold turkey. She says, it was only when I quit chivalry that I realized how unfair it was to men and how much I had bought into the idea of a gendered stereotype for men when I was so against them for women.
0: Wow. Yeah. So Okay, so she cut chivalry out cold turkey. And what does that look like? I don't open my door. I don't need you to open my door. So here's
1: the thing. There's a phenomenon called benevolent sexism. And she says, there's a likelihood you've participated in it before. She says, I have a master's degree in gender studies, and heck, I do it all the time. Benevolent sexism is sort of like the Macarena. You don't remember when you learned it, but for some reason, you're really good at it. (laughs) (laughs) She says, benevolent sexism. Oh, I like her. I know. Benevolent sexism is the grand equalizer. While women are less likely to participate in hostile sexism, when it comes to benevolent sexism, the gap pretty much disappears. Just like breathing, we all do it. Benevolent sexism is when someone advances a favorable attitude toward women, but it's actually rooted in sexism. So in the world of dating, she says, it shows up when a man orders for a woman, refuses mm. to ever let her pay, insists on walking on the side nearer the street, must lead when they walk in a crowded place, etc. Wait, how is that? Here's why. Sexist, because it sounds like chivalry. This may seem normal, perhaps even justified, but the reason is never rooted in equality. The logic is rooted in an inequality that women require protection from men, but the result appears to be preferential treatment for women. Benef- benevolent sexism is like misogyny with a wink it may seem inoffensive but it replenishes the well of sexism every time we do it i don't understand how it is sexist because it's because every time you do it it reinforces these gendered stereotypes and it reinforces it's never oh, okay. rooted oh, in that equality. like a woman needs protection. Yeah, so yes. she's incapable of protection. In equality. That's right. Okay. It doesn't come from a place like if it's something that you would do for a man. If a, if it's mm-hmm. something a man would do for a man, do it for a woman. So, um, well, I guess it's all, but it's
0: also like, uh, say, it's a a child and a parent, right? Like a child and a mother, like. I would want to walk on the outside of the street so that if a car comes, I'm hit and not my child. I sure. would I would want to open doors because I am the physically stronger of the two of us. I would want to lead in public. You know what I mean? So I guess I'm having a little bit of trouble with this
1: section. Well, I think you just explained it by treating the male like the parent and the female like the child. Oh, my God. <laughs> But listen, that's
0: benevolent sexism. Girl, I'm self helping myself and deconstructing the patriarchy even (laughs) when I don't realize it. You're
1: welcome. So, like, she's like, if you would open the door for a man, then open the door for a woman. If you would refuse to shake hands with a man because you insisted on a hug, you know, some men refuse to shake hands with women. They're like, I only give hugs. But would you do that with a man?
0: Here, real quick, let's, let's, let's talk about how this translates to Mike Pence and his wife and him never being alone with another woman.
1: So that's benevolent um, sexism. It's, it's not hostile sexism. It's benevolent sexism. So he will be happy to have a meal with a man without another man present, but he will not have a meal with a woman without another man present.
0: Oh, I thought it was his wife. Isn't it Mrs. Pence? Isn't she always there?
1: Well, no, he can have a meal with like, if the cabinet were there and there were a female Oh, like he just will ever. not have a, he will, he will not he have, have a, a single, solo dinner right, with
0: that's right. anyone that's on his life. That's right. That is, and that also, by the way, goes back to, I guess, like boys will be boys,
1: which is yep. why you can't. That's right. Jesus. So she says benevolent sexism is bad for men because it makes the women they're in relationships with less happy. But apparently mother likes it. She says, now, it's important to note. Now, here's what's important to note. The research shows that men in benevolent sexist relationships reported being happier in their relationships. So the men are happier. The women are less happy. So despite the data showing that traditional chivalry and benevolent sexism aren't leading to healthy heterosexual relationships there's this panic about preserving these traditional gender roles. She says instead of giving up our obsession with distinct gender roles there's a tendency to further entrench ourselves in them. Right?
0: Well I know a lot of I know a lot of women who want to feel quote unquote taken care of in that way.
1: Yes, so I, and it I don't how it relates. To it happiness. reinforces and deepens and refreshes the well of sexism every time they do it.
0: Mm. Do you think there's a way to have equal partnership in all other realms of a relationship, but those things stay?
1: I, well, let me continue and then let, let me have uh, you ask that question again. Okay. So, Brene Brown discusses, discusses women's discomfort with male vulnerability in her. Um, yeah, she does it beautifully. Men, women, and worthiness, right? The experience of shame yeah. and the power being enough. She says that while women often ask the men in their lives to open up, women can't always handle it.
0: So Correct. That's an example yes. of the
1: reverse, right? Correct. Um, yeah. Be vulnerable with me, but then when they are vulnerable, it's like, be a man. We
0: recoil. Yeah, 100%. I I did this to a boyfriend in college, and when I read that part of Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, because she said, we've got to acknowledge the ways that we as women reinforce the patriarchy, and I thought, I don't reinforce the patriarchy. Go fuck yourself. I have a minor in women's, so blah, 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 and then she said that, and I went, oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because, she says, because we all associate masculinity with the repudiation of the feminine, when that disavowal is not perceived as complete, we start to question a man's entire identity. Holy shit, that's so so unfair. It is. And so Liz says, as a queer woman who has dated both women and men, I can anecdotally say that same-sex relationships can be much easier because there are no predetermined rules or roles. She says in a way, they're a social experiment for what relationships could look like where gender is not the most immediate organizing factor as it often is. She says sounds we really have to nice. do gasp, talk to each other to figure out gasp what chores we like to do and and figure out what <laughs> makes the most sense in terms of you know delineating um, responsibilities.
0: I have so, to say this oh, second part of the book sounds a lot funnier. Then the first part, I think she
1: was just talking about so many serious things in the first part. Did you find that it was pretty humorous throughout? It it is pretty humorous throughout. And um the second part is and isn't. It's okay. because she talks about some happy stuff in the second part too. Okay. So, like, so I'll ask you again, like, is there a way? I think what she's saying is when you give up distinct gender roles, there's a way to actually be happier. Because then if you say, mm-hmm. I like to feel Cared for, but not because you're a man, but because those are things I value. That's my love language, for example. Right. Mm. Um, for example, for um, two women or two men or two self identifying women or two self identifying women in a relationship, you know, you don't get to say to them who's the man in the relationship. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, who's yeah, going yeah, to be yeah. the chivalrous one? No, they get to figure out how they care for one another.
0: That makes sense, and I also think uh, applying it to love languages. I am an acts of service person, Mm -hmm. so someone opening a door for me is a small act of service, and it doesn't matter if, like Lisa, you opening the door for me. I'm going like that was so thoughtful. That's right. You know, it's not like because it's and how we distinguish chivalry
1: versus um, and benevolent sexism from a kind act is if just a man would open a door for you, and but he wouldn't open it for somebody else, right? Got it. Got it. Okay, chapter eight, bromance. Um, So this is all about, this is really fascinating. While women tend to build activities around their friends, men approach friendship in a more transactional way, building friendships around activities. So they have their fishing buddies. They have their golf buddies. They have their paintball buddies. And she says, if you want to know how our culture feels about two men having emotional intimacy, look no further than the term we use to speak of it, a bromance. Male friendship is so fraught that we as a culture have invented a special term to characterize the extraordinary phenomenon of two men having dinner together. Bromance. They can't right. just eat together. Men have the ability, the need, and the desire to form deep and intimate friendships just as much as women. And she says- What, what, would, the, oh, what would
0: the lady equivalent be? if it, So bromance. The lady equivalent be?
1: is we go out to dinner. No, I know, I know. But I'm trying I'm girlfriend. trying to brainstorm.
0: I'm trying to brainstorm a fun. We um, call Mo
1: a brainstorm. A gr- I'm yeah, still yeah, yeah. by it. I'm like, I have a girlfriend. It's girls' night. I'm going out with the girls. I'm having wine night with the girls. I'm having book club. Like we have so many outlets for this uh-huh. that are different and varied. And they don't. They have to create a fake name for it to get emotional Right. And it's like and a very
0: special, up. like, oh.
1: Oh, and you they have Jana grabbing
0: dinner. Okay. They have
1: to make it um bro. They have to make it aggro, right? Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bro. And they make and they yeah. make fun of it. A bromance, like it's a romance. No, we're just we're friends and we're close. Okay. So then yeah. she says, look at the context and history that this wasn't always the case. That men used to spend lots of time together and and be open about their affection towards one another. Mm-hmm. But then homophobia happened.
0: Yes, there's a there's a bunch of old photographs I saw once about no. I forget what it was like the early 1900s and men were just allowed to walk around holding hands and being really yes. affectionate and
1: Yes she says the consequences yeah, really of not difficult. addressing post-traumatic homophobia are dire, and she says this is not just an American problem. It has created a full-blown loneliness crisis that's become so severe that governments in Denmark and the UK have started to intervene. British research shows that there are 2.5 million men who have zero close friends in the UK. Zero? That's roughly seven percent of the male population. Is Isn't that sad? Oh my God. Poor so, babies. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, Waffles are His Love, love Language is chapter nine. And she's like, all this time, we were so focused on getting people comfortable with the idea that it's okay that women work. But that revolution was never followed by a movement saying it's okay for men not to
0: correct yeah star- and I, yeah. I i've i've definitely heard of this double standard of uh from stay-at-home dads who are like listen yeah. if i'm standing by the playground watching my kid play but it's not obvious that i'm the stay-at-home dad you know like i'm left out of a lot of the parenting groups and i'm looked at like a fucking creep by the slide and <laughs> I I am seen as like, ooh, okay, I guess you couldn't handle your career, which is why you're staying home.
1: It's really interesting, and I feel like there's this kind of untrue belief that as we get further and further in generations, it will get better, and this study does not. Show that the research doesn't show that. So she says there's a silent panic amongst millennial men. Although very few young men would admit this to me, the discomfort with this asymmetrical gender revolution reveals itself in the largely silent yet growing anxiety they have toward working women and their role as fathers. She cites research by Joanna Pepin and David Cotter, who found that more young men today believe in the superiority of the male breadwinner model for the family than in 1994. Oh, my God. Although only 42% of male high school seniors in 94 believed the best model was a man working and a woman at home, that figure has curiously jumped to 58% today. And even the number of young men, 18 to 25, who disagree with the statement, quote, a woman's place is in the home, has shockingly decreased. Their data also shows more young men today believe that a woman working outside the home harms preschool children. What? Yeah this chapter also does a deep dive on the incarceration rates for black fathers and how this impacts the development of boys. And it's a wonderful, difficult read. We don't have time to get into that because that she would be really, like, wow, oh. she really eats the whole elephant. Do you understand what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, like she's, she's looking at how all of these different systems like reinforce and perpetuate each other.
1: Yes, and it's totally inclusive. But it's,
0: all, it's also hard. It's hard to have a conversation about masculinity without saying, like, by the way, this feeds into the prison complex, and this 100 percent
1: X Y Z because it is that that pervasive. It is, and I did. I chose not to co- like to talk about it because it was enormous, and I got <laughs> yeah, alone I could be its to own entire it. that, episode. That's yeah, exactly yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, um, next chapter: the man session. This chapter is all about how men are losing their jobs and their toxic masculinity prevents them from taking available jobs because those of those industries' connection to femininity, like nursing or teaching.
0: Right. She says Mm -hmm. that
1: men shouldn't be mad at women and immigrants for taking their jobs. They should be mad at robots because that's who's taking the jobs. They're being automated. She says one in six American men between 25 and 54 either is unemployed or has stopped looking for work or so the government classifies them as such because they have stopped receiving employment benefits. Okay. That means there are roughly 10 million men of prime working age who are literally missing from the economy. And that number has not been going down, she says. In fact, it's been steadily increasing.
0: What are they doing? What are, they, are they hanging out with each other? Was that? No, new?
1: they're they're angry. So then, she also brilliantly weaves in how white women of those men, the, the white women who are married or partners, or of those men who are in that ten million count, ten million count, may have voted for Trump because his political language spoke directly about bringing jobs back, and it
0: was all oh, about these people. And these women are sitting there going, "I wish my partner would get a job." Yeah, he's going to like
1: because guy. remember that part of what defines a man is being a breadwinner and when that's it's a real problem when they cannot or will not find work.
0: Oh my god.
1: And also this is like, like
0: I feel like we are on um, we're at the end of a 24 episode season <laughs> of NBC's new hit mystery for the love of men and we just realized like oh my god we've been focused on this one problem this whole season and we just realized it's bigger than we ever knew the policeman was actually the
1: killer all along it goes all the way up to the presidency exactly um Also, she talks a lot about how, just like we said, girls can't be what they can't see, and so then all a lot of the toys started being made for girls to, you know, you can be blocks. That's right. Yeah. Also, boys can't be what they can't see, and up until like the mid '70s, toys were not gendered, but they really started being gendered in the '80s and '90s. It was like blue and pink, and there was like a boys' Um, aisle and the toys and the girls' aisle, and there weren't a lot of options like. Dolls for boys was a real. There was a dearth and a problem, and yes Anyway,
0: it's it's yeah. like in the opposite. No, you're for, right, and you girls. never you never see like a, a like a, a, a nursing
1: set for boys. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit! Yeah. Um. Just feels so chapter. unfair This I know. whole thing. Next chapter. If the patriarchy is so great, why is it making you die? Thank you. Um, I'll be brief in this chapter. She talks about how other countries like Iceland have greater gender equality and that men have much much better lives than they do here. Um, wow. Just statistically, they live longer, they report more happiness, they have less, uh, illness, etc. And she says that feminism is the antidote to shorter male life expectancy, not the cause of it. So all of the fear and like Whoa, digging into the trenches shit. about like we we can't, you know, gender equality means I get less and my life will be worse. Just it's not showing up in the research. Um and she right. this chapter kind of breaks down men's attitudes toward work, risk, and doctors, and how they all attribute to a shorter lifespan. And even in the section on risk, she does this, like, huge diversion into drowning and, like, how men are more likely to drown than women, partly because even if they can't swim, they'll rate that their ability to swim is excellent. Like, it's really—their attitude oh towards God. risk is different than, than women. Or
0: or they're in the middle of drowning, and they know that a lifeguard could hear them if they shouted, but they don't
1: want to seem weak, So, they don't don't ask for help. Maybe. No, I'm just saying. They they won't stop and ask for directions in the middle of drowning. Thank you. The next chapter is The Making of Men. This chapter was all about her travels to Zambia and how she saw the effects of freeing boys from traditional masculinity and how this thing is truly global. I'm going to be real with you. This was near the end of the book. I was a little bit like, I just. You get a pass. You get a pass thank you. It was quarantine, um, or safer at home book reading. And I was kind of like, what the fuck is this about? But I did see, she was doing <laughs> a lot of work with people basically saying like, people are studying this around the world and the, the effects are the same. And that when you yeah. give boys the freedom, she did talk about this one cool thing of like, they did this ceremony where they buried gender roles that they didn't want to take forward. And like, it really freed them up. Um, oh, I love that. Wait, where, who did the ceremony? Uh, these Zambian boys. Um, the oh, next I chapter, love, okay, I'm sad you didn't read that one. That sounds cool. Is called Compassion as the Antidote to Hate. And this chapter was all about gangs and ISIS and neo-Nazi groups and how they're predominantly all male. And, yeah, she, and she she serial killers connection. and, yes. and yes. mass
0: shooters and, yes. like, it's all, it's, it's a yeah. boys
1: club. And she made, you, she makes this Connection that they pray often, they pray upon individuals who have been abused or who have been neglected to recruit. And it's really fascinating. It's a super fascinating chapter. um, And I highly recommend it. Um, But again, I was also, this was safer at home and it was really tough to read. Difficult Lisa,
0: Lisa, it sounds like, look, this is a self-help podcast, everybody. It sounds like Lisa prioritized her own mental health over finishing the last two chapters of this book. And I say yes.
1: Again, this was like, I was down to the tail of this elephant and I was like, I can't, I'm full, I'm stuffed. I want everyone to read this book. I I ate too many vanilla
0: ice cream and cured salmon and (laughs) mousse-bouches to begin. I should have left the bread basket alone, but I couldn't help it. It was warm. It was like that chocolate bread from from, uh, Outback. It's not chocolate, but it's the brown bread. (laughs) <laughs> Brown bread. No, you know that place is my nightmare. Okay. Um, We're to the conclusion. We,
1: okay. Oh, wait. Did you have, I'm sorry.
0: No, I can't remember. It was not, look, uh, my point was, all I wanted to finish saying was, in the last four days, I have had a massive cry at least once a day, every day yes. in the last four days. Yes. And I told you, I couldn't read a book this week. And so I say, Lisa, you should be seen for the hero that you are. I am a fucking
1: hero. I stayed at home you. on my couch. And that's what and kind that of hero is what, the country That's what needed heroes look me. like
0: in 2020.
1: You are the hero Gotham deserves. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, conclusion. The case for mindful masculinity. So basically she's been presenting this entire elephant and now we're down to the tail. And (laughs) she... She wants to present a new kind of masculinity. She asked masculinity professor Michael Kimmel to talk about, um, he he shares this study that he did. He asked male participants to describe a, quote, good man. And here's what they would answer. Integrity, honor, being responsible, being a good provider, protector, doing the right thing, putting others first, sacrifice, caring, standing up for the little little guy. She says standing standing up for the little fuck. (laughs) standing up with a little (laughs) fife. She says, it's beautiful, right? But something striking would happen when he would ask them to describe a quote, real man. This is when the men would start talking over each other and even shouting, never cry, be strong, don't show your feelings, play through pain, suck it up, win at all costs, be aggressive, get rich, get laid. In other words, The pressures that men would face to prove they're a, quote, real man would conflict with their capacity to be a, quote, good man. So she says masculinity wasn't toxic. It was the monster masquerading as masculinity that was. In other words, masculinity is not the problem. It's the solution, which I found really interesting she says wait
0: how how is that well because then? being
1: a good man was examples of all wonderful things but being yeah. a quote real man brought out all these negative things so yeah. she, again she says so there's message toxic, toxic it's this yeah. monster masquerading as masculinity that was what we tell oh, them is a real man is that's the
0: interesting it's almost like re
1: reframing Yes, yeah, so masculinity isn't the problem, it's the solution because the antidote to never cry, be strong, don't show your feelings, play through pain, suck it up, all that is integrity, honor, be responsible, be a good provider, protector, yeah. do the right thing, put others first, right? All that Right, stuff. right, right, right. Yeah. She says, wow, that, this is this, complex. Yeah, this chapter was this conclusion was really great. And then she says, I want to be specific, freeing ourselves of gender rules doesn't mean we have to remove it entirely from our lives, but rather that we take and leave the parts that make sense and all that we are afforded the personal, and and that we all are afforded the personal freedom to make those decisions personally and privately. And she says, yes, intentional masculinity is the cure for toxic masculinity, It's by attending to masculinity that we can heal it. Mindful Mm -hmm. masculinity is how we cleanse it from all the lies it's been associated with. It encourages men to look inward, to remain connected to all those things that make them a, quote, good man. Instead of the unhelpful trash they've been inadvertently absorbed along the way and are inadvertently carrying around about what it means to be a, quote, real man. So being Mm -hmm. mindful about our gender means we awaken ourselves to the habits and behaviors we're automatically um, identifying with and choose which ones serve us and which ones don't. It's about becoming an observer of those behaviors rather than being lost in them. And at its core, it's about getting masculinity off cruise control. Instead of seeing certain male behaviors as innate, inflexible, and inevitable, we will come to see them as learned, changeable, and avoidable. Although practicing mindful masculinity is about men getting in touch with what makes them feel aligned, with what makes them feel good about being a man, it's also about facing pain and taking radical responsibility for it. I
0: love that term, radical responsibility.
1: And that is what I have brought to you for the love of men. I oh, do have my God. Um, there was an amuse bouche of um, the rules for a post-me to era that I thought were good and if you don't mind I would love to share them. Please um, because I thought it was really and since we I didn't I didn't know if we would have time but since um yeah we've broken into two so I'm pulling up on my on my condo and I'm going to search for I love much. this
0: idea of all of us being intentional in our genders or you know like whatever whatever societal pressures and rules and roles come yeah. with that obs- that have been put upon us um observing that and in a relationship, whether it's romantic or platonic or whatever that looks like, just saying, hey, what do you enjoy doing? What do you like? Yeah. You know, and, and, and being intentional that, about it. I love that. It
1: is. And that, that she was like, you know, that masculinity is the solution, not the problem. And that, like, yeah. these behaviors that you already ad, ad aspire to will save you from these behaviors that you've been taught. I love and that. are a problem. Okay. That's powerful. Um, here's the amuse-bouche. Um Uh, Oscar Wilde, the quote is, everything in the world is about sex, except sex. Sex is about power. That's what Oscar Wilde said. So Uh she said, one of the most frequently (laughs) asked questions I received from men while researching and writing this book was how to talk to and approach women in the workplace uh, in a post-Me Too world, right? And she mentions Toronto Burke. Um, So she said, here are some tips. Rule number one, take stock of how much power you have, right? Because... um, She's just making sure that men recognize they still hold the vast majority of positions of power um, and just thinking about the person that they're approaching, what the power structure is. Rule number two, when trying to date a woman at work, use the rule of one. Um, She says that the official policy was instituted at Facebook and Google is you only get one shot. Uh, If you ask them once and the answer is ambiguous uh, to a full-on no, you're no longer allowed to ask them. Dating dating at work is simple. You get one shot.
0: Great, I, I love, love that, rule. that.
1: Well, number three, be aware that if the attraction is mutual, it's not harassment. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're flirting, um, uh, if the, if she's flirting with you, you're probably not. Oh wait, what did she say? She says, if sorry, I broke the page here. If you're not sure if you're flirting or harassing, you're probably not flirting.
0: <laughs> yeah. Thank you. No, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And by the way, if you're ever not sure, there is a way, and I know it feels really vulnerable and scary, but just to say, hey, I can't quite tell. I just wanted you to know. I would love to take you out romantically for a drink sometime. Let me know what you think about that. And you'll get a clear answer. You know, like there's a way to do it respectfully. That's it.
1: Yeah. She says Buddhism teaches us about conscious eating, conscious walking, and I think men need a practice of conscious flirting especially in a work setting. Many men go into flirting with a woman as a conquest, like she's a mountain they're trying to climb. But if they only approach flirting by putting her first, they would be able to tell right away if she was interested.
0: Oh, like wow. you said,
1: you'll know right away. I love that. Yeah. Rule number 4, you don't have to avoid women, just stop harassing them. <laughs> it's so hard. Rule five, yep. Rule number 5. Um when it comes to chivalry in the workplace, ask if you're not able to tell. So men should approach acts of chivalry with a simple rule. Definitely ask if you can't if you can tell for what's appropriate. Yeah. Ask if she needs help, but never assume she does. Be yep. attuned to a woman's reaction when you offer up an act of chivalry. She gives this example of she had a coworker who offered to hold every bag, no matter how small it was. And she's like, I felt like I was so, you know, like, like an invalid
0: well it's it's also like then it becomes not about you and your comfort it's about the person doing the act it
1: becomes a selfish right. act yeah um, and she says what goes an even longer way and literally cannot backfire is offering to do traditionally female jobs for women in the workplace like taking notes or doing administrative tasks even yeah. if you weren't in a position to take the food order or keep the minutes giving a woman a nod for doing it signals an appreciation for her time and work and a recognition that those are laborious tasks too I love that Rule number six, don't do anything for a woman that you would not also do for a man. Thank That's you. It. Yeah. Okay. Thank yeah. you for letting yeah, me Yeah. So those. if you wouldn't
0: touch I a man was. on the small of his back,
1: yeah. as you say like good I, morning. Like we said earlier, if you wouldn't refuse to shake a hand and say, I only give hugs. Yeah.
0: Lisa, li- yeah. yeah, absolutely. Lisa, uh, this book needed to be written, so I'm not going to ask you that question. <laughs> and thank um, you. And we've talked at length about what the author got right. Yeah. What did she get
1: wrong? I think that, you know, she has a a gender, she's like an expert in gender and policy. And this seems like she tried to make it available to everyone. But I think by addressing everything, it is hard to consume. It is a a hard to read book and that it's long and the stuff that she's saying is difficult and you know and plus i just came off of reading um talking to strangers by malcolm gladwell who's a storyteller and a historian and so he wove that together so beautifully uh, uh-huh. she's, you know yep. it's it's she's a little bit behind the ball for me because yeah. that was just like a well-crafted tale
0: right okay okay but it but it sounds like the content is 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 the struggle yeah yeah.
1: And it's phenomenal. It's also a little bit like fed up and that I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it.
0: Right. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like it's particularly helpful for people in romantic relationships or who have close relationships with men if they're not romantic, you know. It is.
1: Or, if or especially for people raising children. And emotional right. intelligence to talk about it. Right. Um, did you put anything into practice from this book? Um, it continued, especially right now when I'm speaking to, um, friends who identify as male, you know, I'm, um, I was more compassionate if they, you know, when they share, but I'm, I'm a pretty compassionate person, but I really yeah. tried to be sensitive to the struggles that they might be feeling in this like challenging yeah, time. Like how it, do it's, I act it's a as lot a protector harder. when I have to protect myself?
0: Right, right. And also, it it seems a lot harder to just brush someone off for being part of the privileged class yeah. of straight straight man, you know, when it comes to this stuff.
1: Um, yeah, I had a good friend. He texted me. He's like, should I wash my clothes after I come home? And part of me wanted to be like, fucking figure it out yourself. I'm not a fucking doctor, but the other piece of me, and I'm sure he's listening right now, so hi. But the, hi. That, that's because I was tired and cranky. But the other part yeah. of me was like... It's scary, I know. Let's figure this out, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Do you have homework for me?
1: I would love for you to think about how— Dismantling the patriarchy. I mean, if you could do that by tomorrow. But also, um, what, if anything, you would like to address in terms of benevolent sexism and or chivalry on dates? How you would like to think about that. You don't have to do anything. Just think about that.
0: Oh, my God. Okay, I will. Lisa, thank you for that stellar review. Um, that homework made my stomach turn. Or also, don't. because it's am service, it's I do like a oh, lot so you're of not that
1: going stuff. But
0: I'm in the middle of a quarantine, which by the way, um saluting all of you who suddenly find yourselves in monogamous relationships when you didn't expect to, because
1: yes. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Here's my homework. Here's my homework. Yeah. Think about how you would like to talk to your male friends um, and your future uh, partners who identify as male about this expectation you would like to set. That, like, you know, the research shows that happier relationships mean more emotional labor and et cetera. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I want to hear from you out there if you're raising a boy or a child who identifies as a boy. How, what does this make you feel like are you empowered are you frightened what are you trying to do is it terrifying i imagine it would be terrifying i'm curious to know
0: yeah thank you so much lisa this was really stellar this is Love really you, this is a really important book um now after 10 days of being in this closet i'm going to climb out i wish okay. i could give you a hug i do too i really my skin hunger is strong everybody is strong yeah, that sounds um, like a bad Horror movie Skin Hunger. Skin Hunger. Brought to you by coronavirus. <laughs> I don't know if when this look, it's this could be a be really uncouth joke by the so time that this right episode now, We're doing out. our best. We're doing, we're our, doing best, our
1: best. We're doing our best. It
0: is, by the way, it is uh March 28th for us. We're this episode, in. I think, comes out in like May. So look, we love you. May your self isolation and and health love and safety of men. and love be of men. Abundant. be abundant. Bye. Okay, love you guys.